The views expressed by our podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Dallas. Welcome to BankCast, the Federal Home Loan Bank of Dallas podcast. Today we're talking about ESG. ESG is the latest buzz acronym. It stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. But what exactly is it? And how does it impact financial institutions, particularly our members, banks, credit unions, and insurance companies? Companies of all sizes are increasingly under the microscope from regulators, shareholders, and others to run their businesses according to an ESG approach. We'll hear today from two experts in ESG about how it impacts the financial services industry, what's important, and how to begin incorporating ESG into your daily operations and your future business strategies. Our guests are Jared Whelan and Rashma Shah from Deloitte. Mr. Whelan, a CPA, is an ESG banking sector leader. His sustainability experience includes working with clients in the financial services industries on their sustainability assessments, benchmarking to peers, evaluating processes, and implementation of reporting to meet ESG objectives. Ms. Shaw, also a CPA, is an engagement senior manager with a background in auditing financial services companies. Her sustainability experience includes working with clients on their data processes and controls, which has enabled clients to make data-driven decisions to improve operational efficiency, reduce costs, and advance performance across a range of ESG metrics. Welcome, Jared and Reshma. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. So I guess we're going to dive right in. Let's start with the why. Why should financial institutions such as our community banks, small regional banks, insurance companies, and credit unions consider implementing an ESG strategy? Sure, I'll take the first question. Uh, ESG strategies that an institution adopts can be in response to several factors, such as standards or regulations, stakeholder pressure, and the ESG risks affecting the organization. So let's look at each one of these. From an overarching perspective, it's very important to understand that ESG risks are simply business risks, and stakeholders are demanding visibility, accountability, and transparency. Currently, there is limited mandatory ESG regulation to manage these stakeholder demands. The ESG standard setters, such as the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, or SASB, and Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD, are voluntary frameworks for ESG reporting. Having said that, the SEC does intend to leverage these frameworks in creating their own regulations. The SEC has indicated that they will that they do intend to make certain ESG climate disclosures mandatory and that there will be industry-specific considerations. Speaking of regulators and industry, the New York State Department of Financial Services, or DFS, is one of the first regulators to formally express a view on ESG. The DFS expects regulated entities to incorporate ESG risks into their enterprise risk management framework to increase visibility and accountability. Thanks, Jared. So does size matter when it comes to ESG? Do small banks, insurance companies, and credit unions need an ESG plan? In short, if you're not publicly traded, why should you care about ESG? That's a really great question, Jamie. Remember when Jared said ESG risks are business risks? Well, by extension, ESG risks don't only affect public companies, it affects every part of our economy, including small banks, insurance companies, and even credit unions. Even more importantly, these smaller organizations may have a collective reach equal to that of financial public institutions. 
Also, the ESG issues affecting public companies also impact private companies. For example, conserving energy, using renewable energy, and recycling can reduce costs and help the environment for all sizes of companies and all types of companies. Creating a diverse workforce where employees are valued and treated fairly can help attract top talent, improve morale, and reduce turnover. Finally, the SEC is in the process of drafting some ESG rules and has set the expectation that public companies accurately disclose ESG information and programs. Along those lines, investors and other stakeholders may naturally come to expect similar information from private businesses. So it sounds like this is this is really affecting everyone. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So given that, how does a financial institution without an ESG strategy get started? Sure. Uh, one of the first steps we see organizations undertaking is to perform what's called a materiality assessment, where you engage with your stakeholders inside and outside the organization to understand what their priorities are when it comes to ESG. You want to understand what they think is important that the organization pay close attention to or address by developing dedicated ESG strategies. For example, an insurer may think that procuring renewable energy is top of the agenda based solely on what's most popular in the news. However, given the nature of the industry, stakeholders such as employees, customers, or even regulators might prioritize other topics such as an ESG investment policy. After you prioritize what your material topics are, it's time to implement monitoring mechanisms along with the strategies to address the previously identified material topics. What you can see, you cannot address. Not being able to measure the performance of your initiatives or programs can lead to the lack of progress or may even prevent you from taking the next step, which is reporting. Public and private companies alike are subject to their stakeholder scrutiny. If you don't tell your story, somebody else will and disclosing your ESG performance is critical to telling your own story. Leading practices are to comply with applicable regulations, but also taking it to the next level, which is generally following one of the widely accepted standards or frameworks, such as the Global Reporting Initiative, GRI, or as previously mentioned, the SASB or TCFD. We're seeing an increased focus on obtaining assurance over sustainability reporting, either through a portion of the report, certain KPIs, or the entire report. Great, that's great information, Jaren. And Sounds like there's a lot for companies to begin thinking about. You already mentioned, both of you, that there may be some regulations coming down the pipeline. What can you tell us about what guidance may be in the future? Yes, there's a lot going on. The SEC has indicated that it intends to propose rules on the topics of climate change, human capital management, corporate board diversity, and cybersecurity risk governance. We did expect a draft rule this month in October 2021. But based on a recent speech by Chair Gary Gensler, that rulemaking has been delayed. The SEC has indicated that they will prioritize climate change. Companies should begin to prepare themselves for mandatory climate-related and other disclosures, since this regulated landscape for ESG disclosures will differ significantly from the current landscape of voluntary reporting. To adapt to disclosure standardization, companies will need to focus on improving data integrity and reliability by enhancing management processes and controls. At Deloitte, a leading practice we are seeing these days is for companies to set a minimum disclosure requirement. Regulators allow the use of existing ESG reporting standards and frameworks, such as the SASB and TCFD, to align their disclosures to. Great information. Certainly something to be looking forward to in the, in the next few months. 
We've talked a lot about the different standards, got a good introduction to ESG. It seems like the environmental portion gets the most media attention, but what's the most important of the ESG legs for a financial institution, the E, the S, or the G? Sure. And we've heard this question before, and it's a very good question. And, and, you know, for an institution, where to focus on. But, you know, truly all the stool's legs are important for financial institutions to address. From an environmental lens, a bank can design a strategy to finance only clean energy initiatives. An insurer can commit to, to not underwriting coal-fired plants. From a social perspective, banks can work to make capital more accessible to underbanked communities. And from a governance perspective, banks can implement a set of processes and controls to help minimize ESG and business risks. This includes having the same rigor and level of internal controls around ESG as you do around financial reporting. However, each leg can address a multitude of topics. That's why it's important to perform a materiality assessment. Even within the same industry and or sector, companies may prioritize ESG topics differently. So let's look at this from another perspective. If you are in an industrial climate, think Houston, the hub of oil and gas, how do you weigh meeting the E and the S with serving your customer? So, for example, where, where we are located here at, in Texas and Louisiana, hub for oil companies and cattle raising, that which produces lots of livestock emissions, it's big business. And if your customer is in this industry, how do you reconcile the how and the why? That's really a great question. And we've spoken to many clients about this before. Every industry has a role to play within our modern society, as well as the opportunity to do right on the environmental and social fronts. Even for these industries, which some may perceive as not being ESG forward, companies can find value in managing their ESG risks. Some of the areas for added value are brand differentiation, such as being known in the marketplace as a leader. Value is also driven by innovation. And if you're finding ways that ESG can drive more efficient and valuable processes. For example, here at Deloitte, we are purchasing sustainable aviation fuel. Since this fuel is less harmful to the environment, it helps us reduce our own emissions. This is an example of using an innovative approach to being more efficient. Related to innovation is operational efficiency, where you can use dimensions of ESG to minimize costs, such as reducing energy or water waste. Here at Deloitte, for example, we were one of the largest U.S. corporate travel buyers of airline tickets a few years ago. Now, because of our ESG goals and lessons learned from the pandemic, we have a goal to cut business travel for each employee by 50% by 2030. Capital access is also a consideration for some where there is a potential increased access to capital, as well as a lower cost of capital to those who demonstrate positive ESG considerations. Value can also be driven by risk mitigation. For example, by integrating ESG into ERM systems, you can minimize or avoid costs as well as minimize and avoid lost revenues, which ultimately leads to higher valuations. And maybe one of the most important areas in the marketplace today is talent attraction and retention. We have talked to many organizations where this is an important and growing priority. This current battle for talent is really becoming a differentiator because professionals want to work for organizations whose values align with their own. This is really an opportunity of where having a clear position on E and S and G and telling your story can help attract and retain talent. Great response, Reshma. 
So we've talked a lot about the positives of ESG, some that you just mentioned, in innovation, Jared mentioned addressing underbanked communities, talent attraction and, and retention. But what's the downside to banks? What's the, is, it, is it risk? Is it cost? What should companies be concerned about as they head down this path? The main concern should really be not addressing ESG risk, which could ultimately end up costing the organization. Inaction may lead to further scrutiny from stakeholders and could put companies in a regulatory bind. Investors are putting emphasis on timely and transparent disclosures. That correlates with what we're seeing from capital markets participants, such as investors, lenders, credit rankers, who are increasingly integrating ESG information into decision-making. The downside to not address ESG risks is missing out on, op- on the opportunities when investors are attracted to other organizations that are focusing on ESG. So as we wrap up today's podcast, and, and you have both shared some, some great things that our members and our other listeners can be thinking about, can you share with us some of the resources that are available to our community financial institutions or other listeners as they consider whether to and how to implement an ESG framework? Yes, absolutely. Our latest publication on ESG and financial services is called How Financial Services Can Use ESG Initiatives to Help Build a Brighter Future for All. We can provide the link to this publication so it can be attached to the podcast notes. In addition, follow Jared and myself um, on LinkedIn, where we always share the latest updates and thoughtware on ESG. Thank you, Jamie, for the opportunity to discuss ESG with you and your team and your members uh, and the broader community. We hope you found it helpful and definitely reach out if you have any further questions. Thanks so much to both of you, Reshma and Jared. So this concludes our edition of BankCast. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. And Reshma, Jared, thank you again so much for sharing your expertise on this subject. 